Hello there, friends. Andrea with the Bangs here. The following interview is with my friend, Rebecca Christensen. Now, it is on the more informal side because Rebecca is a good friend of mine. I've interviewed her once before. It was the first time I had met her, actually, when I last interviewed her. We talked about her being an author and we spoke about uh, the feminine, the feminine archetype. And that was a really, really fun conversation. And we've actually really hit it off as friends. And so it was a little bit uh, less formal this time around. And uh, yeah, that, it's fine to be less formal, I guess. I just wanted to, you know, warn you. I don't know. Anyway, but it is a kind of serious topic. Like we're talking about Ibram Kendi and his books. She wrote an article about him and the ways in which he is misrepresented especially on twitter and to be clear rebecca is by no means a social justice warrior type person she just is someone who likes looking at both sides and well you know what watch the interview you can let me know what you think i'll let her explain herself i really appreciate her perspective because she's trying to be quite honest and open to what she is reading in his books. So I guess that's all I have to say. And you guys can let me know uh, your conclusions in the comments. If you're new, please do not forget to subscribe. Without further ado, here's Rebecca. Hello, Rebecca. Hello, Andrea. I like, I need to come up with a better I do this thing where every time I'm like, and we're starting. Hello, guest. And it's like, it's, I don't know, I, I go into like ele elevator. It's cute, I like it. Voice. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, if it's cute, I'll keep it. I'll, I'll keep it then. Hello, Rebecca. Hello, Andrea. Okay, so like now it's serious mode. So here's the thing that's difficult for us because like we're, we're friends and. So the formality is just like not, not even here, but we'll do our best. It's okay. I think once we get into the topic, the seriousness, we'll just kind of help to like take us away. Um, but, but, you know, it kind of feels like the, the topic that we'll be going into. I feel like um, if you don't laugh, you'll cry. So we've got to laugh. So, so aforementioned topic, you wrote a little article about how it went reading okay how do you say his name is it ibram I, I, I think it's ibram 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 x kendi yeah people just say kendi you read yeah. his book anti-race how yeah. to be an anti-racist and then you wrote about it yeah go the interview <laughs> okay okay but like okay can you do okay let's go through a little bit of the article so you well, give the before and why you decided to read it. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's in the intro to the article as well. Um, I worked at a bookstore until late November. Um, and after George Floyd was killed, we started to see an uptick in demand for anti-racist and like black history books. Mm -hmm. um, and that happens with a lot of different social topics. Like every time there's an election, there's kind of an influx of books. Um, or an important anniversary comes around, there's an influx of books. And that's just kind of how the book industry is. Mm -hmm. um, but usually these are kind of flash in the pan situations where the demand spikes and it often spikes unexpectedly and we can't meet it. And then it goes off and then we have books kind of hanging around forever. Um, mm -hmm. That kind of happens. But with the Black Lives Matter movement kind of not ever losing relevance throughout the remainder of 2020 mm -hmm. and even to now, um, these books just kept being popular until they were kind of some of the top selling books in the store, mm -hmm. which is really unusual for such a serious topic. Mm -hmm. So um, as I was working, I was constantly processing large quantities of these books and you get curious. Everyone who works in a bookstore is a book person. Yeah. So like we're always picking up books, reading the backs, reading the front cover to each other, stuff like that. So that was, so Kendi has kind of three titles that are 
some of the biggest leading titles in that genre. Mm-hmm. So there's How to Be an Anti-Racist, which is his newest, um, Stamped from the Beginning, which is his big like National Book Award winning book, and then Stamped, which is a young adult adaptation mm-hmm. of Stamped from the Beginning. Okay. And then he also has a kid's book. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of the author with the most titles in this genre. Okay. And I started to notice that he was kind of really, really hated on Twitter. Especially um, in our even, circles. Yeah. Yeah. In kind of centristy Twitter, yeah. I guess. C- centrist um, to the left and to the right, centrist Twitter. Yeah. 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 Yeah, he was he was very disliked, and when that happens, I always ask myself why someone has that reputation, and especially with Kendi, I noticed that the same quotes were shared over and over, and they were always decontextualized. Mm-hmm. You would always just see, like, a screenshot of one or two sentences mm-hmm. completely removed from all of the context. And, and then and this quotes- is what... Yeah, they are real quotes. It's like, and but then it's also, this is what he believes. This is what he yeah. says, and this is what he like, believes. Yeah. Oh wait, let's read. Let's read some. Let's read the yeah. most notorious. I think I screenshotted. Screenshotted. Is that? I know. <laughs> it's Gosh. definitely not screenshot. So screenshotted. <laughs> definitely not. Okay, so, um, but this crowd merely responds to his tweets or saves screenshots of quotes to post to their followers as an example of how awful this Kendi guy is. And the quotes did sound kind of bad, taken on their face. Here's one that makes the rounds with Kendi's critics. The only remedy to racist discrimination is anti-racist discrimination. The only remedy to past discrimination is present discrimination. The only remedy to present discrimination is future discrimination. It sounds like Kendi is advocating extreme affirmative action, even oppressing white people as revenge for the oppression done to black people. But still, I couldn't shake my suspicion at this quote appearing constantly without any further context clues. And... Speak of the devil, the author is here. So please continue with that thought, Rebecca. Yeah, so it started to bother me enough that I wanted to read the book, Um, which happens. I read a lot of books, so it was just kind of like, well, you know what? I'll I'll shuffle it up in the queue. So I did, and um, lo and behold, a lot of Kennedy's critics misrepresent the hell out of what he says big surprise wow people on twitter not they take things out of context what so so what are the main things i kind of want to go through the content this is this is going to be be a bit of a let's just go through your article and then we'll we'll go Mm. beyond so Mm. what are the things that you found to be the most surprising like the, your little bullet points what are the things that you found like oh this is why he's not what they say i guess yeah well he's very much about policy he's not somebody who attaches personal blame to people or to groups okay that surprised me He's portrayed as somebody who is, like, all-out racist against white people, hates white people, thinks white people are evil. Mm-hmm. And he actually writes about a time in his life when he did think mm-hmm. that. When he was in college, he wrote a column at his, like, college paper that was, like, very inflammatory. And he took a lot of inspiration from the Nation of Islam, mm-hmm. who, which are, like, a black supremacist group who do have, like, really... Mm-hmm kind of scary views about white mm-hmm. people same kind of thing that the kkk believes about black right. people is what the nation of islam believes about white people they believe that they're like an evil race created by like this evil scientist on an, like they, it's really weird it's, yeah. it's like an evil scientist who created this race to be the most supreme evil race and stuff so he was into that stuff in college and um his editor at his college paper called him out for it 
and he had a slow kind of evolution to realizing that white people are people who have individual beliefs mm-hmm. and who aren't this just evil horde who hate black people. Right. Blanket. Cause, cause, because Blanket he has a bit of a memoir along with the polemic you said. It's, it's uh, yeah. yeah, so it's a bit of a story so of his life. Incorporates a lot of his personal stories. Yeah. And um, so it's part f- kind of dry fact mm-hmm. and part memoir. And it merges the two like really beautifully. Like he'll tell a story about his life and then he'll kind of do a chapter break and then the next bit will be about like the actual fact that influenced that story mm-hmm. so he um he kind of grew and realized that the problem isn't endemic in white people like white people aren't evil as a race right, right. it's just that historic racism still exists in policies created by old like racists right basically. right right so the racist ideas that affect black people today exist in like government policy and institution. So that was really interesting. Like that's not something that people attribute to Kennedy at all. People kind of paint him as this blanket racist against whites, but he, his ideas for attacking racism are very much like find a policy that has a negative effect on black people, fix it, examine the results and then go on to the next thing. So right. it's, it's actually a very surgical approach. And he relates it to cancer treatment because he had cancer. His wife had cancer and his mom had cancer all within the space of a couple of mm-hmm. years. So that was a really interesting part of the book where he detailed like all of these cancer treatments and then how they came to influence his like view of racism. Mm-hmm. That was a really interesting part of the book for me. Well, it, it's because it's showing him as a human being. And who has a wife, who has a mother. And and it it just does sound really reasonable. I mean, you could argue with his his policy stance, but it's the, the, the with regards to his stance on people being individuals and not giving white guilt, assigning yeah. white guilt to white people, that's very reasonable that he yeah. like we agree. Yeah right yeah and there are paragraphs of that book like so when I was in kind of the last chapter I realized I hadn't really made any notes and there were so many like paragraphs and lines that were like really illuminating to me like on a sentence level and I was like oh man I didn't like mark any of those so I actually spent like two hours one night just going back through the book and kind of scanning every page and marking every line oh and um you yeah and, like, there were some parts of it that you would think would come from somebody like Coleman Hughes or, like, some kind of more centrist to right-leaning John person, McWhorter like, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah there's Thomas whole parts of it that, like, if you didn't know Kendi had written it, you'd be like, like, yeah, I totally agree. But because people are so focused on ideology, I guess, like, they can't detach him from this, like straw man version of anti-racism this is what you are right right well you know what it reminds me of it reminds me of people who are defenders of jordan peterson when they're like he's not a white supremacist he's not a radical he's not what you're how you're describing Andy is how i you you could just switch out the names and it would it sounds like like the way you're you're trying to be like, hey, well, he's not what you people have painted him as, and it it just yeah. sounds like um, he's been oversimplified and strawmanned is actually what it is. Why why yeah. is that? Why yeah. why do you? Because he doesn't subscribe to the white guilt and to the um or to the power dynamics of with regards to to. Can you go over the that powerless argument? Yeah. yeah so yeah so something you hear from kind of like Twitter activists a lot is that black people can't be racist because they don't have power. And a lot of people agree with that, but Kendi doesn't. And he talks about, he says that like, if you strip the responsibility of power from black people who actually hold power, like if you say that like Clarence Thomas, the Supreme court justice doesn't have power because he's black or, or Obama when he was in office, both terms. 
Yeah. Yeah. Or Obama. Like, so if you have this idea that black people can't be powerful or can't wield institutional power, you're basically just making an excuse for every black person who is in power, who doesn't, you know, who doesn't do what they should be doing. Like, it's really, it's actually a very interesting argument because it's so rampant, the idea of powerlessness, but like, what are you doing if you're saying that black people who get to that point, and there's not a lot of them, like, sure, like, I fully agree that, like, there should be more black Congress people and there should be more black Supreme Court justices, mm-hmm. but for you to say that the ones that there are don't have any power, like, that's just, it, just, it practically doesn't hold yeah, water. Yeah, that's kind that's of keeping true. all power away from black people forever then. Yeah, yeah. So, so... Yeah, so so that's interesting that he believes that. And then the other thing that I found very interesting, this um, violent crime st- statistic. Do you want to talk yeah, about right? that one? Yeah. So um, it is true on paper that young, that black men commit more violent crime than white mm-hmm. men. But when you control for unemployment, so when you take unemployed black men and unemployed white men, it the discrepancy like disappears. So unemployed young so men like, get into trouble. Commit more violent crime than anybody. So I feel like that's a statistic that not enough people know. I didn't know it. You it, see a lot it's, of people it's a, it's a about. very important discernment and distinction. Okay, so th- that I just wanted to go through a couple of the points like yeah that you brought up that were interesting. Those are the ones that stood out the most to me mm-hmm. as a sort of let's this is why he's not what you say he is. Now let's go back to yep. why do you think he is this caricature so easily? Some people read it. I bet yeah. Coleman Hughes read the book. Yeah, I think he reviewed it. So why why? Why do you think he's painted with such a an, an unforgiving brush? Without referencing any specific people, because I don't know if I could speak on why Coleman Hughes would represent him a different way or John McWhorter. Right. Or, what I think, I think it's a, a symptom of an issue that I see a lot where people who have only ever had one opinion, like people who have never switched ideologies, like I've switched ideologies, I've moved... I've been the polar opposite of myself at times. Um, People have different ideas of what words mean. I see this all the time. So take the word Mm anti-racism. People on the left, there's no way that they would ever disagree with just the word Mm anti-racism. And there's no reason that anyone should really, like the word anti-racism, like any sane person should be anti-racist. But if you kind of live in this centrist or right-leaning world where you've seen people that you don't believe to be racist called racist, it becomes a scary word for you. And people who are on the left who have never been more centrist or more on the right don't understand that. And people on the right don't sometimes don't have the bird's eye view of their own worldview, Mm -hmm. you know, like they can't really recognize when they're blowing things up into straw men. Okay. So if they, if they are, if, if in their point of view, if their friends are always called racist and they don't think their friends are racist, anything called anti-racist is going to seem like an excuse to persecute their friends. So, Okay, okay, so it's it's like, oh, you're saying that I have to be perpetually engaged in this particular act of anti-racism. I can't just, like, like that's, that's the, what I, the vibe I got when I first heard anti-racist, anti, anti-racism, was that, like, you have to be engaging in anti-racism. It's an active process. It's not passive. You can't just exist as you. Yeah. That's what that's what I yeah. thought and I in my centrist space. Yeah. Yeah, and that's partially true, but it's also just like it's not that you have to go out and join BLM rallies and like 
protest for things and boycott things. Like, that's not what anti-racism is. It's fortifying institutions against racism. So, okay. like... To do with policy? Some, and, and anti... So, like, rather than yeah, individual action? It's more to do with policy, okay. yeah. So, like, a racist policy is, like, something like voter ID laws is a pretty racist policy. And, like, gerrymandering and redlining, like, those are racist policies. And an anti-racist policy would be a policy that's fortified against racism. So, like, it can't enter it because the policy is built in a way that it just can't sustain racism. So that, so a non, like, he says there's no such thing as a non-racist policy because a non-racist policy, like, a policy that actively tries to be colorblind, because it's not fortified against racism, it will allow racism. Okay. Okay. Sense. So that's actually the the part where I was like, I don't know about that. To be like, like, like just upon reading the art, your your article about it. Um, yeah. Because I don't know that every single possible racist scenario can ever be. I guess maybe with a, oh, like no. an algorithm yeah. on a computer, maybe someday. So that's where I'm like, yeah. I don't know that that's possible. Um, we can try our best. So why isn't that mm. just what everyone's doing anyway? There, there's that. So that's kind of my, my question. Are, are we... Yeah. Well, uh, so how is it racist? So wait, so if you're not being anti-racist, you're being racist. That's the... It's not that you're being racist, but you're not building up a fortification against racism. Then why not? Okay, then what about, say, what about the other isms? Like, like sexism and, like, ageism or ableism? Like, uh, could you not say, well, then you have to be thinking about all of those as well? Is that... Yeah, you could. Depends on the policy. Different policies are going to affect different groups but differently. So if any one policy... Policy, so that's why... Groups. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. <laughs> no, it's okay. But, like... Any, so take like voter ID laws. Black people are much less likely to have the proper ID needed okay. to vote. They're much more disenfranchised as voters. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I am of the belief that voter ID laws are racist because they have been implemented in the past specifically to disenfranchise. And that's so, important, right? Looking at the history of a yes. law. Did, did he say yeah. that? Like outlining... Let's look at the root. Like when you talked about the cancer cell thing, is like where where did this come from? Yeah. So so yeah. I would almost say maybe again maybe because I just read your article and not his book. It certain policies when we look back, and we see like the Jim Crow style. Oh, black people are freed. Well, let's make it real hard for them to own land. You know, like yeah. if we How can. They look... can't sit at the counter. How would they have to sit in a designated area of the bus? Yeah, yeah, they're allowed on just in a certain spot. They can't live here. Exactly. This is our neighborhood. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Here's zoning law. It's just zoning. It's not whatever. Yeah. So, so, we so. We just want to keep this area nice. Yeah. Nice oh, and clean. Oh gosh. Oh, this is. We're back. We're getting too deep into the the, the mock racism stuff. <laughs> But like that's true. That that's what was. That's that is what. Was. Yeah. So, so going backwards to see like, oh, clearly this is a vestigial racist policy that's not meant yeah. to be racist necessarily now, but was. Yeah. So there might be laws. I can't think. Well, I don't know. Like, like don't hit pedestrians. That law might not be racist. In its origin. Yeah. So that's where I'm saying some yeah. things might not even have to do with racism at all. So I'm just being a little bit like, okay, well, technically, not all laws. Like, maybe I'm being a bit, um, what is the word? Like, kind of like. Uh, pedantic. Ped yeah, yeah, yeah. A little, I'm just kind of nitpicking and like pedantic and yeah, whatever that is. So yeah. maybe that's not what I should be doing. But I, I just, I know, I know everyone's going to be like, no, why didn't she challenge her? <laughs> but I do, I do want to know. Cause I actually am wondering like, well, wait, what about like yeah. this? So and yeah. That's not, that's not a kind of like line that Kennedy pursues in the book. He doesn't ever say like carrots are racist. 
or carrots are anti-racist. Like, it's not that granular. It's literally about, like... Well, and that's why the policy. Like, that's why I'm like, okay, like, don't hit pedestrians. That's a policy, right? Yeah. I don't even know if that's... Don't hit pedestrians. I, like, I'm sure that would be an anti-racist law. Because every well, also, everyone remember that in common, it's like oh, include like black or white. Don't hit people. See, see, and that's where the <laughs> yeah. that's where the anti-racist word that's confused. That it is confusing because that's confusing to me to be like oh, okay. I just thought it was a a good law. We must call it anti-racist, and that's where I'm getting a little bit into the weeds. That's what I was looking for. Yeah. Um, and it might yeah. be a little bit semantics of language of, of like, oh, must you use that word? And then and then and then that's where he, I guess, would have to defend why we must. Yeah, that's why I guess I should. Well, that's another it. thing that because like I can't speak for him. Right. I've only read his book. So like my the reason I wrote the article, the article's titled In Defense of Reading the Damn Book. Yes. Because. <laughs> Because, like, your whole viewpoint can totally change when you actually read someone's book. But something that I see with Kendi in particular is that, like, he's a scholar and an author who produces the written word in forms of columns and books. Mm -hmm. Um, But I see a lot of people online, like, demanding that he debate people and being like, debate John McWhorter, debate Glenn Lowry, debate Coleman Hughes. And he doesn't. Because that's not his medium. Like, he's not a debater. Oh. That's not, like, how he chooses to spend his time. So it's, like, a weird, a weird like, group of people are demanding that a writer express themselves in the way that's pleasing to them. Right, because the IDW space is a very online and discussion. Like, this, like, honestly, like, this is kind of along that genre, right? This this chat right now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's very, like, verbal Mm discussion-based. And that's not how he expresses himself. Mm -hmm. So it's very... It comes across very entitled to, like, demand somebody use the medium that you find the most pleasing in order to engage with their Mm -hmm. ideas. Like, it's, it's very, like, entitled and demanding, I think. So it just always bothered me that these people will not consider his ideas unless he expresses them in the medium that they like. Oh, so you're like, read the damn book. Yeah, like, he wrote a book. He wrote a book on the topic. Maybe that's what you should check out. Like, like, that's his expression of his points. Mm -hmm. That's, like, the text that he wrote and revised and edited and published and put out there like that is the like plato's form of his ideology mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like that's what you should look at so okay so here's i mean that's a that's a good point and i think that hopefully if like he literally wrote a book on the top yeah he wrote the book <laughs> so hopefully people see this like just that's why he's not debating people but but the thing the reason i think People look to certain figureheads for how, what should I think about this? And, and, and I remember even talking with Liam, um, Liam Kofi Bright from Twitter. Um, I, I spoke with him about our discussion on letter and about, and I'm like, oh, Liam, I still haven't finished reading the material, the material you sent me. Um, because another friend of ours, um, Aaron Rabinowitz made the comment, people ask for sources, where are your sources? But then they get the sources and they don't read them. And so I remember him telling me that and I was like, I've got to read the stuff Liam sent me in our letter conversation because I don't want to be those people. And I, okay. When people ask for sources, they're not asking for they don't want to see like the rigorous scholarship behind your ideas. They're looking for sources that they can discredit. Right. Okay. Right. When right. When they ask right, that question, okay. they're looking for they're looking for a journal that they can say, "Oh well." Oh, you know, like I'm so naive. Like, oh, well, I actually was like, "Oh, because they just want to know what, who, where is this coming from?" <laughs> 
I didn't think it was yeah. the other way and, around. Like, the best of them would, and like, you, and you'd hope that they would, but I think a lot of people just ask that because they're looking for to reasons to discredit okay, well, I Okay, well, we'll see okay. if my train of thought still holds. They can let me know. So I, I mentioned to Liam, I still haven't finished reading the sources you sent me because it's just... And this is not the same as Kendi's book. Kendi's book is marketed to like the masses, but and this was it's theory. Yeah, and this was theory yeah. that um that Liam sent me. And I was like, I still haven't read it because it was just really hard to get through Liam. And he's and and he was like, Oh yeah, like I don't blame you. And I'm like, but Aaron said he's like, Yeah, but Aaron's a scholar himself. Like he's like, you know, it it I don't blame you for not being able to get it is it is thick and convoluted and wordy and so so not to say Kendi's book is but like I'm just saying like I remember Liam said that to me so so in general people on Twitter look to their figureheads what should I think about this because I don't a have the time to decipher or b want to yeah and I don't blame yeah, them because life is busy. So they do. And I think I almost want to give them, I don't want to say credit, but like give them a bit of, well, I do that too. Like I do what they do. Yeah. I mean, I don't because I'm nice on Twitter. But I I mean, personal belief, like I might think, oh, I guess that Kendi guy's uh, one of them. I don't talk about it. But I just was like, I just put him in the, you know, social social justice left warrior type category and just moved on. Um, where where others just do the saved quotes and and then tweet those out. So it's it is like I I have other books I'd rather read that are on the list that I've been meaning to read because I'm not we're not all wonderful readers like you. So that's one of the reasons why I think people have maybe the wrong idea because they look to these particular people who have read him um and I think have read him yeah and then and then they, it gets disseminated so I don't know what I'm even asking because it's like how do we stop that I don't know yeah I don't think we can stop it but I think what we can do individually is not comment on things we haven't researched even a little bit like I would way rather somebody say I'm not going to read that book. Maybe I'll just read his article or maybe I'll just comment on the way he tweeted this. I would way rather that than somebody making grand statements, judgments on absolutely no reading. Like I would way rather somebody just file him away in the back of their mind or file anybody away in the back of their mind and just not comment if they don't know anything about what they're talking about. Oh, so what what I do. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you pat on the like, back for me. Because <laughs> I, think, I, th- I honestly think misinformation is like a huge problem on the internet. Fake news. Like the amount of people who know next to nothing and will make like like this this whole Wall Street bets GameStop thing mm-hmm. is a huge indicator of that because there's so much information. People know nothing about stocks or the or Wall Street or anything and they will make pronouncements and people will act on it and people are losing tons of money and i'm just talking i'm not even just talking like like dipshits on twitter making comments i'm talking they're like content creators who are like they're leftist content creators and they're conservative content creators who are commentating on this issue and people are making financial decisions based on their advice when these people know absolutely nothing oh it's just hot takes they're just uh, like oh this is the latest like that yeah and when it's in the financial realm it has real consequences Mm. and i feel like the consequence is just as real or like a current events topic but we don't see the effect as much because there's no money at stake. But mm-hmm. when there's money at stake, like there's people losing tens of thousands following their their content creators who are misleading them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think that's like, that's really bad. And we don't have a way to kind of deal with that. Right. So if people who are the leaders in these groups maybe started doing this, the thing that's hard is like, 
what if they actually like? I mean, what I I oh, I didn't read Coleman Hughes's um review of Kendi's book, but if he thinks that for real, he thinks the things he wrote in the article. That's what gets sent around Twitter. He can't be like, oh, well, I don't. He's like, well, I thought those things, so I can't like censor myself. Yeah. So so yeah. yeah. That's sort of difficult if because you like you say that you don't think it's as that he's a white racist the way that people like again I don't know how it's been disseminated through the masses from what the original people who people look to um what they said yeah um but if he thinks I honestly those think things, that yeah. people who people who are taking their opinion from those like thought leaders. If they're accurately interpreting that opinion, that's fine. Like, there's lots of people with good critiques. Mm -hmm. And, like, it's good to have good critiques. Like, good critics are, are like, a service to us all. But it's the people who don't even do that. There are people who literally will, like, read three quotes from Kendi and take a look at him and decide that, and decide all kinds of things about him. Like, there's an element of racism in that as well because like someone like robin d'angelo like i think her ideas are kind of silly and i've read some things about her no, practices no that are no like really like on, on both sides no one really like yeah. loves her no one likes right. her right yeah but i i feel like everyone can just kind of be like okay robin and like set her aside but like she's a wealthy white woman and it's funny to like make fun of her because of mm -hmm. that but i feel like if she was black she would be a much bigger figure for like a much bigger target for outrage really okay well i know because she was part of the whole evergreen thing so i saw a lot of like real like hate hate against her when she hit mainstream it was it was more jokes and so yeah. I definitely saw her, the share of like, oh, look what she did, like basically. So I saw mm -hmm. that, I did see a lot of it, but I guess you're right. The fact that when she hit mainstream, it turned to jokes is kind of maybe poignant. Yeah. And it turned to like, okay, white lady, <laughs> like, which is like a way, like, that's not, that's not a harmful joke to right. make. Like right. you say like okay white lady and yeah. just kind of set her aside well okay yes and so if she was black then it would be like she's so hateful i think yeah and i think she would be seen as like more of like a reverse racist or more of a shrill loud angry person she i just think all kinds of stereotypes would be piled on her and she's people like think of her I think that she's she seems more radical than Kendi does from how you described him and um yeah I think she is and like that, and that's just kind of like crazy sense. and not yeah. quite as yeah and not like rooted in reality like Kendi is very thorough about basing things on facts and research do you think that people are are like people are more hateful towards Kendi than they are towards uh, Robin D'Angelo? I think so. Mm. I think they are, and I think the the level of misinformation is a lot higher because, like, I think Robin D'Angelo, like, once you've seen a couple clips and you've seen like Benjamin Boyce's documentary videos, mm. um, you kind of you kind of like see her for what she is right. and i don't think people need to lie about her right but, right i mean maybe that just shows that kendy's more onto something maybe he just threatens people more right maybe people don't see maybe people see robin d'angelo is so silly that you know right if they engage kendy you might have to agree with him and that's yeah. kind of scary. I'm not saying yeah. this as someone who is like saying it lightly. Like I, I it, it is a, 
Yeah. Okay. So one of the one of the there's more to contend. It's it's what there's more to contend. Well, inside inside you, right? Like 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 there's a part where it talks about um, this is the part that I felt the most internal pushback, my from inside for me, something about how if a policy. I think it was actually the one we we talked about about how oh oh no it wasn't it was it was um there's no acting black there's no blackness um and then he kind of you can no black behavior behavior and then he kind of ended also with like he ended it in a in a way that was balancing balancing it out by being like and the same way there's no white gene you know that that that's evil yeah. or whatever and yeah. and so that that was like balanced in that however i know there's there like i'm going to bring up coleman hughes as like a like well on coleman hughes's discussion with john McWhorter, well they talk about this <laughs> book called acting white and and there's this thing against and again this goes back to the whole integration of schools that you also mentioned that he mentioned in the book yeah. that actually MLK was not necessarily for um, integration in schools because, like, we can't trust people to teach our children and care about them who don't see them as as equal. Um, so, so that to say, there's that background there. But, but Coleman was called all the time how he's like, "Are you trying to be white?" You know, when he made good grades. And it, there's a history there, of course. There's a whole history about why don't even try in school if you're black, you know? Um, yeah. And that's like acting white, according to the black community. Again, because of the history there. So is there not also a, like a counterpart to acting black? Like, the, is, that, is that racist to think of on either side that that exists or black culture yeah like they're very proud of their culture you know uh aren't, aren't they like in in a way that like, like this is ours we created this you know we we own this so there were some things that i that i don't know about and i what am i how what can i say about it i don't know <laughs> i'm a white girl so yeah. that's we're we're two we're a couple of white girls so so that's that's what I didn't and I and I know it's he meant it in like the negative context of like oh you're, oh you're acting yeah. black in this negative way you know but there's like positive yeah. ways of like quote unquote acting black and as as well as what from what I thought like black culture wise so what what does he talk about that at all Yeah so it's really interesting the book starts with um a story of I believe he was kind of in his last year of high school. He got chosen to uh, represent his school in this like statewide speech contest. And um, it was kind of a funny story because he didn't want to do it and his friend encouraged him to do it. So he wrote this speech and he won their school's competition even though he was late. And like, it's just this funny like story of how he, okay, he's on the stage at this like really big speech competition. And at that point in his life and like what he wrote the speech on, he wrote it about how there's bad stuff in the black community that holds pe holds black people back. So he his speech was very much like, we have to stop selling drugs. We have to stop um, getting pregnant before we're married. We have to stop doing this and this and that. And then we can like raise up in society because if we don't fix our own behavior, then we can't progress and be seen as more and all this stuff. And like he remembers looking back, he like looking back on that speech, he's like, Oh my god, I was perpetuating like every racist talking point of like conservatives on Fox mm. News, and people were eating it up. Mm. Like his parents loved oh. it, his the audience loved it. Was the audience like and a like so, a black audience or it was a yeah, it was like a mostly black audience. Oh. And uh it was in this like big black church where they did this speech competition. But his speech, like, when he looks back on it now, he's like, oh, my God, I was regurgitating so much, like, harmful stuff. I was told about the way Black people act and how it's on them to kind of raise their own status in the world. 
And, like, that's what he means. He means, like, there's nothing that black people do that white people don't also do but experience different effects. You know, like, white people also get pregnant before they get married, and white people also sell drugs and do drugs, but the system is just so unequally weighted. So it's really not fair to say that, like, this behavior is what holds black people back. Because the same behavior doesn't always hold white people back. Okay. So really, it's not the behavior, is it? Okay, okay, right? because you could have, if you get pregnant and you're in a white family, even if it's not necessarily middle or you could be even be in the like lower class, but you could, because of whatever family history and inheritance laws and whatever place that you, area you live, um, you might have more family support and air space for family to help aid you. Yeah. Just, just as all these hundreds and thousands of factors that go into why you are in the place that you are, and then these other factors of like, well, these people were descended from slaves. Literally, that results yeah. in where they are now. So, so yeah. like, like, like that. he talks about how, yeah, he talks about how the average, um, what's the word, net worth of a white person in the US is something like, it's like in the 30,000s, it's like 35 to 37,000. The average net worth of a black person in the US is zero dollars. Mm. Like that alone is like crazy. Mm -hmm. Like if you're white, you're much more likely to have grandparents who owned a house. Mm, okay. And that alone, that alone, like you're, that means your parents probably own a house because they had that little bit of a leg up. Invi yeah, invisible factors, yes. Invisible, like, I mean, you could look to the house as like a, a clear indication, but then, but there's just lots yeah, of, indication of well. factors as to why someone yeah. who gets pregnant who's in, like, but there's white trash. Like, come on. Wow, I'm going to change that. There are white people who are, how do I say it? disadvantage yeah, I, yeah well oh it's the same gosh. kind of thing but like like there are totally like there are totally white people in the same situation like my parents had not much of a leg up at all they got up a little bit like I'm still young so my potential is still like I still have potential ahead mm -hmm. of me like I'm not doing well now but you know like 10 20 yeah. years the story will hopefully be different but like with somebody whose black parents grew up under Jim Crow and whose parents lived through that time as well, did like maybe a little better, but like if, if you're white, the odds are so much better that you came from more. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. So I think that the history, cause I'm a history person. I think that the history of looking into factors as to why someone is in the space that they're in their family background is very important but i'm still actually wondering about the am i about the black culture thing and how like that's something that like it, that's theirs like like we wouldn't it would be inappropriate to say well there's no such thing as that like white people can claim rap culture in the same way that like black people can like well no we yeah, we've got Eminem. Yeah. Okay, I'll give us that. But that we got and one and we got Weird Al, <laughs> Amish Paradise. Don't forget. <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh, this is the worst. <laughs> I'm the worst. But like, but no, but like, like I. He's genius. Did, did but does like acting? But like the that that. Does Mike? Does Mike? I feel like I don't have the right words. Okay. Does it make sense, my confusion about, like, I get why it's not fair to be like, oh, acting black and you're acting black because look at the things you're doing, these, like, sort of stereotypes. But what about the good yeah. parts of, like, that, that came out of, I don't know, like, rock and roll, like, like, the blues came from that. And then as a result of that combining with other things like rock and roll, you know, like, like music, you know, like, that yeah. is... You you can trace that back to a, a 
specifically the black community and it's actually racist to not point that out to be like no this is yeah. black you know so what about yeah. that is, yeah. is that a different thing than he's talking about yeah. though no it is a okay. different thing okay. yeah he's talking about like behavior and choices like i read a really interesting okay. quote today on twitter and apparently it's from little fires everywhere the series um where someone said i'm paraphrasing you you didn't make good choices you had good choices like you the options you had to choose from were all good so like it's not that you are the supreme god of making good choices it's that like you had good choices to choose from and some people all of their choices like all of their options are bad <laughs> maybe some are less bad okay okay but yeah i thought that was a really really good quote and the author of little fires everywhere celeste ing she popped in to be like this wasn't in my original book this is definitely from the tv show just to make sure the author the right writers get okay credit. cool that was really well it's cute. cool but um, okay yeah. Okay, so so I actually remember speaking with Rock about this um back last last year and he he mentioned this in a way and he actually back when he had a podcast um he said that he did an episode called Black Privilege. <laughs> but it's about how you have to try harder. But then you're better for it. Because you're like, look what I did. Yeah. Look, I, I did this because I had to try. Whereas, you know, the white counterparts yeah. don't have to try as hard. Yeah. And that's something interesting, too, that, like, the advice that, like, I as a, like, left-leaning person would give to a person is not the same as, like, the analysis I would make of, like, the society. And, like, people like Vosh talk about this. Like, Vosh is a, like communist but even he says how dare you how dare you bring up a communist no just kidding he he's my boy i love him but like even he says like i would never tell somebody that the system is against them and that they're oppressed if they came to me for advice in their Hmm. life like i would never tell somebody like oh well you know like the criminal justice system is against you so you should just you know give up I yeah. guess like I would never ever say that I would I would give like a conservative sounding talk about like oh you know you got to pull yourself up and you got to work hard and all this right. stuff personal like, responsibility it's your personal yeah stuff. yeah 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 your personal like advice and like narratives are totally different from like societal analysis that's so okay micro versus macro that is yeah. huge because the things that we were talking about about like if you are descended from slaves as opposed to being descended from immigrants who came over with less than ten dollars in their pocket even like yeah yeah that is amazing that that they did well like mind you but it's like the slavery space was oh no we still don't like you and want to hold you back with these policies and and there yeah. were and there are some immigrants actually that like weren't wanted actually in the United States who did have a harder time, but like, but still it's, it's, it's looking back at the history and then looking over large bird's eye view at the whole thing versus like, Oh, individually, you know, if you had a hard life and you're white, I don't think that's what we're saying that like, Oh, it wasn't that hard you weren't a person of color yeah no nobody has a monopoly on human suffering like human suffering is rampant and like even rich people go through like horrors that you couldn't imagine Mm -hmm. just think of like any celebrity who goes on like a drug bender and you know ends up in rehab and stuff like Mm -hmm. every like doesn't matter where you come from in society or where you end up like people are suffering on massive scales Mm -hmm. it's just so different how that suffering comes about and we can't fix some of it unless we address things on a policy Mm, level mm. like 
you can give as many inspirational speeches as you could. Like you could go horse every single day giving speeches about how to like about how to improve your life, but there's policies that are actively holding people back. So like it's just a matter of scale mm. and like utilitarianism. That's it. Solved. <laughs> No, no, it, it's good. No, it, it's. I think that's a good spot because, again, we have to talk about these things that are maybe a little un- uncomfortable, a little bit difficult, and also just like understand that the difference between like like macro policy, large scale versus micro, which is like individual level things and. And to not take it personally. And I, I think that's one of the biggest things that's been helpful for me to get over. But I'm not racist. Like, that's how it felt a couple of years ago. Yeah. L- learning about the, like, different housing laws, whether that, that, that is rooted in, in, like, vestigial racism. And, and I'm saying vestigial because I think it, you you were saying how difficult it is these different like words that sound intense like the policy yeah. the policies that were historically racist and that were tried to be fixed but weren't fixed enough and the the sort of uh, education system and how certain uh, zones of property taxes is that decides who gets what in in the the education yeah. funding um from that state and and that county and and well you know what's really crazy mm-hmm. i had to look the, on that topic of schools i had to look this up for a twitter argument that i was in yes the but, best uh, reason to look something up you're really motivated yeah. in the u.s schools are funded by like local property mm-hmm. taxes so like if a school is in a bad neighborhood and everyone around it is poor that school is going to have no like, money. very very little funding mm-hmm. whereas like the next kind of neighborhood over is full of rich people they're going to have rich a rich school with tons of funding mm-hmm. and like that that in itself is like the seat of so much inequality and then I so for my research I looked at how schools are funded in Canada and um it's a little bit different from province to province but in BC every school 80 percent of every school's budget is the same based on like the school size okay and then and then like 10% is based on um, if they have a lot of ESL students or special needs mm-hmm. students. And then 10% is based on something else, like individual needs of the school itself, like the building. Mm-hmm. And like, that's how it's done. Mm-hmm. So like most schools are funded almost the same. Right. That sounds much and better like, to me. <laughs> right. Isn't that just logical? Mm-hmm. Like, how about we just give, all the schools the same like it just it makes careful so much we're sounding sense. like we're communists now each according to his need our, our, yeah, our, each our school being, according to their need a filthy socialists oh, no no but it, it is it then, is like, it, that is uh, an issue that i do think needs to be addressed policy-wise and that's not something that you need to take yeah. personally like that's something like learning these different policy informations informations this info about these policies that seems systemically yeah. racist to me because the way the the yeah. zones of these areas were set up back when oh the other side of the tracks was designated for the poor black people you couldn't move to the other side of the track yeah like yeah, like they literally weren't allowed yes. to move into the other neighborhood. And so and so it's a poor place whatever. So so we're we're just going over the same thing. But it is something that like okay, so let's like you like you said if if we locate the cancer cells in the policy we like fix them, then we can move on to the next one. And like that doesn't sound unreasonable to me. So I think that people need yeah. to read your article which I will put in the description. And then maybe even read the book. 
just to see like the nuance i recommend it it's good it has a lot of good information but he's a writer hmm. um lots of like evocative stories and um good historical information that's really interesting mm-hmm. and i'm gonna read his his other book stamped from the beginning mm-hmm. which won the national book award um and that's the subtitle is a history of racist ideas in america mm. So that will be very interesting. Maybe I'll write something else about that. Maybe uh, we'll be talking again soon. Okay. (laughs) Okay, thank you so much, Rebecca, for this. Um, I just am really looking forward to the feedback of a couple of white Canadians talking about Ibram Kendi's anti-racist book. (laughs) Yes. White gals, a couple of gals. Okay. Thanks, Rebecca. We'll talk to you later. (laughs) Thank you. If you would subscribe, that would be the bee's knees.